Yes, hello folks, welcome to episode 3 of the weekly Manchester United podcast. I've joined here with my regular co-host James, of course, from the United Muppeteers. And Phil, as always, thanks to all of you who've been downloading this podcast in this first couple of weeks. Much appreciated. And for those of you who subscribe to our YouTube channels and subscribe to our podcast platforms, uh, the numbers on the downloads have been great. The feedback's been great. At, um, that helps me afford James' appearance, James's appearance fee. So how are you doing, that? Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Price going up every single day for <laughs> well, my esteemed uh, company. <laughs> the price is going up, but clothes are coming off, James. This will have to be yeah. like only fans too. So you know what I mean? I just start <laughs> taking the shirt off with all that. There's been right. some requests. We'll see what happens. Uh, Times are hard. We'll see how work goes on that. Don't be telling me you have already done that before now. Oh, it's other kid here. Oh, um, but um, last to talk about it, as always, mate. You know, I was doing some research for this podcast, and I was reading about stories that were printed on Monday, and I felt like they were printed about two weeks ago. Right, so much has happened, <laughs> you know, in the short space of time since those stories were printed. Um, notably, the, the Richard Arnold meeting, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit about last night's game against Bayern. Um, yeah. Depends on whether you're glass half full, glass half empty type guide on your perspective on that. Uh, some of the Onana criticism um, at uh, Hoyland, we'll take a look at Burnley and all that there. Um, first of all, mate, what was your take on the game last night? So, as usual, I have um, maybe two different takes. Yeah, same. While you're watching, right? And while you're watching, you think, not so bad. And then you think after the first goal goes in, and obviously then the second within a couple minutes. Mm. From there on, I was practically tuned out, you know, because yeah. I, I felt like they were tuned out. And it's mm -hmm. a similar story in that respect to something we talked about last time and we've talked about a few times, which is the uh, the mental weakness in the team. Mm. Some kind, something, whether it's lack of preparation, lack of uh, determination, there's something that goes on where they just cannot handle it when something goes wrong. And I will say then that I was encouraged that rather than fading to a 7-0, mm -hmm. and I know this is a glass half full side of it, but rather than fading further against the Bayern team that maybe slowed down a bit after that point in time, they did press a bit more back to get into it. They did put in the effort. They did put in some fight towards the end. Not everybody on the team, I should say, but they did uh, a fair mm. number of them and uh, and brought it back to at least an, an interesting ending to the game. Um, and then afterwards, I spoke to a few other people who probably are smarter than myself when it comes to football and tactics and strategies and things like that. And, um, you know, to give a little bit of an optimistic take on this, um, some of these people's perspectives were, you know, interesting. Obviously, one, you know, last year, Eric Ten Hag sacrificed huge uh, on his ideals and principles for the football team mm -hmm. in order to get results. We saw how he played in preseason, how he attempted to start the first two games of the year to dramatically horrid effects, even against you know, like Brentford, it's not a, a top team. Mm. You can see when it goes wrong, how wrong it can go uh, when you're when you're doing the type of principles that he's looking towards. But 
I think it's a, it's a tricky situation for a lot of fans and for a lot of people and for the coach. It's always been this way at United. The pressure for results is there so heavily. It weighs on you every single day that it's so easy to bend on your principles and say, we've got to go back to what works. We drop our defensive line 15 yards. A lot of those goals don't happen over the last few weeks, right? A lot of the goals against United don't happen over the last few weeks. We drop that midfield line back 15. Those things don't happen. And um, he's not done that, not dropped those things. And the positive signals that I see and, and, and that I've had from, from people who, who talk to me tell me, look, it's not an accident. I know this is like one of the, it's, it's almost embarrassing when you're talking about a good 20 minutes. However, controlling the game and possession, chance creation, should have scored a goal probably. Uh, Facunda Palistri, a little yeah. bit of inexperience, not attacking that ball, should have scored. Erickson probably should have scored. Shot he got two. Yeah. <laughs> One of them should have scored there. It's a different Erickson game. Yeah. We, and we've had, you know, Palistri is the second game starting. So I'm not going to say much about the kids. Second game starting, Bayern away, Champions League. One of the most difficult places and experiences to, to get into the game. But regardless, it's not an accident controlling the game, possession, chance creation for 20 minutes. Even the goal that was conceded, the first goal huge just an error we'll talk mm -hmm. about onana but just an error there's nothing else to it it's a goalkeeper error it's not complicated they were defending pretty well up until that point um they pointed out look against arsenal having actual possession never have not had possession against arsenal in years uh even before arteta we would not have possession against arsenal would not control the game at all would not be in it and we were maybe a fractional, marginal offside calls from from that game too, from having the having a win um, against Tottenham Hotspurs. The first half was actually a fantastic performance. Uh, we talk about Brighton, you know, the first good twenty minutes again there, and then something happens. and And there's more to that that you'll probably want to talk about later. Yeah, even we'll why things went to crap anything. against Brighton because there's a little more to it than just you know players are bad or something's mm -hmm. wrong there, there's other yeah. there's other things there's other factors there it's not an accident that each of these games united have been able to do something they did not factually do many times last year which is control against good teams top teams have possession create chances you know rasmus hoyland coming in going that relationship between him and rashford will build more and more every game that they play mm -hmm. together We've not had a striker who is going to attack the posts, attack the box, crash it like Rasmus Hoyland does yeah. in forever since the few games that Cavani would show up under under Oli, uh, in which we actually did really well, interestingly enough. And so I take a lot of positives from it. Um, the biggest negative that, and it has been a recurring thing over the last few games uh the biggest reason for these goals and it's the same thing that someone pointed out to me uh, is in the midfield there's no legs they're not tracking the runners back they lose them Always. and the defense gets overloaded and disorganized and a goal happens and and it's it's every single goal the same thing happens mm -hmm. erickson cannot track back his man quick enough he can't he physically cannot at this point in time in his career right um that's why it's inexcusable. You know, there's a clip McTominay coming on in the 79th minute, not running back 10 minutes later. It's inexcusable for a player who's, what, 25 years old, 
who has the legs, who has the energy, who comes on and 10 minutes into the game does not run back because we don't have that many players who can. Bruno got back from right wing 90 minutes into the game to make a tackle on that sequence from 20 yards behind McTominay, caught up and, and got in there to make the, the defending. Casemiro has, has been having a very slow start in that regard, even with scoring the two goals. He was pretty bad um, before that. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and I think it's a huge miss on a player like Mason Mount, who does give you that energy, that tracking, that running. And that's the biggest thing that, that's been said to me is, you know, the lack of pace, you know, when you're, when you have Lindelof and Lissandro in the back line, they're slow. They are, they're both pretty slow. Varane being out is a problem. Mount being out is a problem. So it's a little bit of positives and and negatives, but, um, but that's kind of how I, how I see it, what I can take away from it. You know, um, I remember uh, when Liverpool played Real Madrid last season. Uh, Liverpool were two 0 up against Real Madrid yep. in the first twenty minutes or so, yep. and included in that two 0 lead was a major mistake from Courtois. Yeah, Allison made a mistake too in that game. But I remember one of the things they Jurgen Klopp said after the game was uh, one of the things that stood out for him against Real Madrid was how, uh, how resilient they are, how they don't lose confidence, how they still believe they'll win a game from 2-0 down. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, th- things like goalkeeping mistakes can happen. Um, yep. But you can't fall apart. And I'll tell you a couple of things that I saw. Um, the Wolves game, the result was an imposter, as Zabi said. Mm-hmm. And I can still man an argument both ways here where you can take some positives from last night. But I'll tell you something, that 3-1, Bayern were strolling through that game. They were yep. taking players off. They were, okay, we'll save our energy. You know, they'd hit the post. I felt that at 3-1, United had accepted defeat and that Bayern had accepted they were going to stroll through the game. Um, I think that United were probably as surprised as anyone. Did they get back at 3-2? Because it wasn't as a result of attacking intent. It wasn't mm-hmm. the result of players desperately, you know, trying to get back into that game, players trying to impose themselves. It was primarily came part from a mistake from Bayern and Casemiro punished them. But as soon as United scored, Bayern up the other end of the field and scored. Now, they did that against Arsenal, right? Where as soon as they scored, Arsenal up the other end of the field and scored. Right? No tackle on the ball, no nothing. Yeah. As soon as Bayern needed to score, they did. Right? Mm-hmm. Same thing, wide open at the back, too much space between the fullbacks and the centre-backs. Yep. Runners weren't coming through midfield and half-hearted pressing, half-hearted defending. Basics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, be organised, keep it tight, don't give anything away. And when I'm watching United, I, I see, you know, I'm seeing Scott McTominay. And Scott McTominay, this is why you can't keep players that you want to get rid of, right? Yep. Because basically what you're saying to Scott McTominay is we wanted rid of you, um, but the reason why you're here is because we couldn't afford your replacement, and I go in there and play and give me 100%. And yep. uh, yep. clearly, um, you know, uh, 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 leading up to the Spurs game, United played Everton in a behind closed doors game yeah. and uh mctominay was the best player on the pitch i was told i told he was immaculate 
And of course, he's left out. And you, there was a number of times during that game where the camera panned to McCominay's face. And he looked extremely angry. Right? Um, I'm sure, you know, Bayern Munich being interested in him probably looked at that game last night going, I wish I was on the other team. Right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like a player that's completely committed. United um, didn't look like a team that ever believed they were ever going to get back into that game once they conceded yep. the first mm-hmm. goal. Um, I, I, one of the things that's quite concerning is Marcus Rashford playing like this is above him. Or he's above this, right? That uh, this is all beneath him. And as soon as you go behind, his body language and attitude's appalling. He's very good on the ball, but we talked about Cristiano Ronaldo not being a pressing monster. Well, nor is Marcus Rashford. And when you heard about Ten Hag saying, you know, against Spurs, against the the, the defence, uh, wasn't the midfield that was it started from the front line, right? I think Rashford probably didn't appreciate that. And I think he was talking about Rashford, um, where they weren't pressing properly. We saw the goals against Brighton, which quite frankly is a disgrace, a total and absolute disgrace. Hi, 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 hi. A limpless wristed United were in their pressing, the, the intent. Um, and so, what starts to happen when you go behind and players stop believing they can win is they stop doing the things they don't want to do. Players yep. don't like defending, right? Especially yep. forwards, right? Yep. So you have to be really committed to want to do that. You have to be committed to getting the result. You have to be. You have to feel like if I don't do this, there's major consequences. Marcus Rashford's in this position in his United career where he's essentially undroppable, right? Because United yeah. just don't have the depth to do anything with him. So regardless of how he plays, he's going to play next week. This is not a good position for any footballer to be in, right? Um, and undoubtedly, he's exceptional on the ball, but he has a look to me. And he's had it pretty much since Spurs that this is all beneath him. That he, I mean, you look at the this, the, the Gabby Jesus school against Arsenal and Rashford's tempted press during that break was, was dreadful, absolutely dreadful. And um, I think this is a big problem for Ten Hag of getting these players to believe that they can be successful, um, that um, they can compete with the Bayern Munichs and everything else. See, you brought up something there that was interesting. There's a refusal for United to acknowledge where they're actually at, right? Mm -hmm. So they're always trying to shortcut back to the top. Yep. I was talking to Stevie Nichol um, for about an hour and a half on Tuesday. We were talking about this. We are talking about how Liverpool's history was an albatross because you were constantly being held. Once... You know, Doug Lee's left after Hillsborough happened. Liverpool Football Club went downhill. Um, but the history haunts the present because you're mm-hmm. constantly being held to those standards. And the reality is the players that you have are not the same as the yep. players. Yep. And, and it's very, very difficult to recreate greatness because there are certain, you know, characteristics of greatness that are very difficult to replicate. Quality, everything in football has cycles and that's the way it goes. But United are always trying to shortcut. They're always mm-hmm. thinking we can go out and buy two or three good players and then we'll catch City and we'll catch Liverpool. Yeah. We'll catch. But, the, you know, if you look at someone like Brighton, you know, they build incrementally on top of mm-hmm. good foundations, top of good foundations. United's foundations are always wafer thin. So all it takes is a couple of defeats for the whole balloon to become deflated and 
to, to show that um, this is this is skin deep, that this is superficial growth. And so yep. we're at it, uh, are patient about their growth and say, look, we're not going to catch city for another year or two, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's assuming we do everything right. Uh, I heard Paul Scholes talk about this last night. United didn't really improve the team. They strengthened the squad, which I would agree with, over the summer. Harry Kane played for Bayern Munich last night because they're a top football club that can sign top players. Harry Kane wasn't playing for Manchester United last night because United no longer can do that. United now have to yep. spread out that budget across three or four players that the world's best football clubs spend on one, right? I mean, there was a story in it, a bit 15 million for Evan Ferguson. What an insult. What a total insult, right? Yeah. I mean, this, is, this, yeah. Is, this, is a, this is ridiculous, totally ridiculous. The reality is United don't have the budget anymore to bring the players in of the requisite level to catch City, yep. to catch Liverpool. They are exactly where Arsenal were under Wenger, right? Mm -hmm. They are a club that's really trying to finish top four that are going to, the best players want to leave, right? Mm -hmm. um, they want to go to other clubs. They can't when they, when they're in the market for better players, top clubs will pick them off. You know, it can't. Um, and they're getting that second tier, third tier player that, that you know, I mean, you, you, you'll, you can touch on this in a minute, but Amrabat, we'll get to that about some of the recruitment, um, the, the, the perception of recruitment on him. Maybe that's why they want the break clauses in there. But to me, again, it speaks to a dysfunctional football club because you shouldn't be signed if that's the case. Um, and I just I look at this and I'm thinking, you know, this is a football club that has some good players, not enough good players, and the weight of history, which demands that they compete for the Premier Leagues and European Cups, is a big problem for United because what they have on the pitch is nowhere near that level where they can compete. You know, um, Ten Hag's been unlucky with injuries, there's no doubt. Um, we can get into that. Um, but um, even with the full squad, I mean, you look at, you look at, I hate to say it, but you look at City, I mean, they're just so far ahead of United, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, their, yep. their signs come in sat right away, score a goal. Good, Hoyland's done really well, to be fair to kid. But everything looks like it's been properly planned out. Where United just look like, you know, they're throwing a jigsaw together and hoping the pieces fit. Where they, and, and that chaos shows up on the pitch every week. So a top club will always beat United. And yesterday in that game against Bayern, we're sitting here going 4-3 is not a bad result on the face of it. It's not, right? It's not a bad result going away to Bayern. There's no disgrace in losing 4-3 to a team that haven't lost at home in something like seven years in the Champions League. Um, but if you look underneath it, how long we needed in that game last night, right? First 20 minutes, as usual, yeah. same thing. They start well, they don't score. They concede a really bad goal, and then they fall apart. Mm -hmm. Um, so other than really the last couple of minutes, you need to work in the game. The loser. Thank you, Froza. Um, I'll get you back in a second, man. Um, but um, I just lost James. So we'll be some technical problems there, so we'll get it back in just a second. But there he is. Uh, but yeah, look, other than the last few minutes, um, you know, they weren't in that game. And um, that was uh, the reality of it. I thought, you know, they were, of course, again, I lost you for a minute. Thought, you know, the game okay. were a bit unlucky. 
with the penalty decision last night. Yeah. Um, Davney could have gone either way. And when you look at some of the decisions that have been given against in Europe, look at the Lissandra Martinez's penalty against Real Sociedad last season. Look <sighs> at the baddest handballs, Josie Perez. I mean, yeah. I sometimes wish that Wolves penalty had been given because um, the um, penance for that has been unbelievable. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> It was like the uh, it was like the uh, the non offside against City, like we we paid last year in the win against them. We paid for that goal for like two months. Oh, I know. In terms of bad calls the other way and the constant attention and the media for it, it was crazy. Well, I mean, just on the Granacho thing, it's easy for people to turn around and say, you know, well, he's offside, but people forget a day before that, you know, Mama Lakanji's a male offside too. Yeah. Right, yeah. and that was given, and that went and said his favor, right? Yeah, and and, and, by the way. So, you know, why why shouldn't Tim Hogg be turning around and saying, Why are we getting the benefit of the doubt here? Because you I know, I know, angle where he's maybe not offside. And, and I thought they were going to give you the benefit of the doubt a little bit this year. That was something one of the focus, right? Like, if it's those millimeter marginal calls where those lines are touching basically on that thing, they're just going to give it. Because it's it's like it's close enough, and I thought that was the case. There was a few games in the first opening weekend that were like that, where the offsides were quickly checked. They looked like they would be offsides. They would have called last year, and they let them go. So I agree. I mean, it's kind of like the, the calls. There there has been a difficulty in, in officiating, and we can't claim that that is the you know the only thing. But I, my two biggest concerns, and and I'll get to the second one in a minute and we can talk about it more and then, and then there'll be something else. My two biggest concerns are number one, that mentality factor, because mm-hmm. I do think they actually played pretty well. There was good things. There's good things happening. There's players who do well, but it permeates the entire squad, this mentality problem. As soon as something bad happens, heads drop. And it's obviously more noticeable in certain areas. Like when you look up front, you know, you know, part of the strategy, of course, has still been in transition Rashford sprinting into the channels forward, forward, Mm. forward, sprint, sprint, sprint. And there was a stat, and you know, it's one of the things I challenge a little bit on this is that, um, you know, I know when people watch Arsenal, they'll see someone like Martinelli sprinting back in defense, right? I know they see that. At the same time, yeah, that's what you don't want to do. So when you say when when the attitude is bad or when when uh, when things are going wrong, players drop out doing the things they don't want to do. At the same time, it costs the same amount of energy to sprint forward as it does backwards. And one of the problems that we've had, and this is this has been a problem for years and years, actually, because um, it, ha- it happens to every one of our wingers over time, um, is we get these complaints. Because we've been stuck in a bit of a transitional style, and this is where it comes down to this trying to short-circuit the results, because this is how we played last year, right? We went back to deep defending long transitions. Marcus Rashford made more sprints than anyone on the team by some significant margin last season forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, but these are sprints for the whole game, right? But you know, most of them are forward in attack and it happens to all our wingers. What's the problem with Anthony when he plays most of the time is because we're usually playing in transition. He, he runs back on defense. He won't sprint forward. So he has the opposite problem. He slows every attack way down because he, he, whatever it's legs or something, he looks slow when he's attacking, doesn't get by players. But it is a part of cheating, you know, to try to get a result instead of implement a style to get a way of playing. 
Arsenal defend Arsenal attackers can walk half the game if they want to because they're sitting camped around that box, moving, jogging, mm-hmm. running, holding possession, one sprint back for defense every 10 minutes. Same with City. It's one of the dominant things that they've done. Um, you know, and and that's something that United need to improve on having to track back constantly the wingers because we play this up and down style. It is a reason for difficulty. It's a reason for a look of a lack of fitness. It's a reason for a lot of things. And it's something we have to move away from if we want to be consistently successful and something that, you know, we will under Ten Hag. Um, but the mentality thing is, is certainly there. We even saw in years past under only Gunnar Solskjaer, we'd go behind and catch up and win. It happened all the time. There's something mentally they need to get right in terms of their consistency, in terms of belief. And some of it is they're going to have to get some results to get that belief back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a chicken or the egg situation here because something goes wrong, heads drop, but you need to get that result to bring that belief back to the team. Um, But this is where you need leadership, man. This is where you need leadership. This is where I think Bruno was going to lead better. I know. was going to lead better to bring that composure to a team. I know. When you go behind. But the problem for me, when I look at Casemiro, is he looks like one of the first ones to drop. I know. His head go, I know. I'm, I know. I'm, I'm, I mean, almost in a rice protection. I know. That that's probably the the most worrisome player that I see there because we signed him on a short term because he was supposed to solve these problems. We know he's not going to have many years, but if it's only a year that we've got, you know, yeah, we, we spoke about on the first podcast how you know I know they're looking at a replacement already, and that's fair enough we've got to make it through this season somehow successfully. And, um, and he's one that's got to turn it around and, and, you know, mentality wise, you'd hope he'd be one of the ones that doesn't have that issue, but but we'll see, Uh, you know, in in terms of the injuries and the fitness, it's an interesting thing because, you know, there's a perspective that, you know, players are, are not fit because they're maybe they're not, working hard or, or something like that. And what you wonder, do you it doesn't really that? make any sense. Um, tell me yeah. what you hear about that, because I'm, we, we talked about this earlier in a week. Yeah. So, you know, what I've heard is actually quite a bit different um, to that overall. And it's interesting because United are not the only club in this, in this situation right now. The, the crisis looks a little bit worse, uh, but Chelsea have quite an injury problem on their hands too. Mm-hmm. And there's two things that are that are going on here. Uh, and one of the things I heard, and then, we, and then we'll talk about the Brighton thing because there's another aspect to this as well. But I heard from, from someone very well informed on this. So I'm quite certain of it. Um, Brighton do very, very little running work during the week. Uh, Brighton are a team that do very, very little running work during the week. They do, mo- they do almost tactics all week. It's all tactical work. One of the things, advantages that obviously teams like that have Brighton, who have built a very good team that now are on the cusp of Europe and all of that, but they still have not had to play in Europe, you see. So they're used to, as a team, having the whole week empty, one game a week. The fitness levels are a bit different there because when you're playing one game a week, you can look fresher than your opponent when you're not fitter than them because they've been Mm -hmm. playing two a week for, for weeks and weeks and months and months and months. And we know that United have had an extremely busy schedule last few years. Um, but what's happened essentially is, is, is really that in training, United are working almost too hard, funnily enough, at the moment when it comes to actual running, um, that they, they've been running almost too much. And the same goes for Chelsea is one of the things that's going on there. And, 
Pochettino is kind of famous for that when he came into Southampton as well as to Tottenham, that his biggest principle when he comes to a side is to make them run insane amounts to get them the fittest team in the league. And then usually they are eventually, but you suffer in the beginning. And I think United are also going through a bit of that too, that they are under Ten Hag here. You know, they know they have to be fit for two games a week. Right now, Brighton don't. But there's even a view from the same person that they will struggle Brighton when they start playing in Europe now because they will not have the fitness levels to to cope with two games a week where you sometimes do have to conserve a little bit for the next game and uh, you're not fresh every single game off a week's rest and all of that. So United are suffering a bit now and it may be that there's some issues, some um, things that need to be improved in terms of the way that the load is managed in training the way that it's assessed because maybe it's a it's a little bit too much right now but the hope is that it'll pay dividends in the long run as well you, you know to me um there's a few things that are unforgivable as a professional yeah and fitness is one of them um yeah. and not knowing how to get your athletes appropriately fit yeah to have a proper balance is unforgivable because it's yeah. not it's not a particularly complex issue. Yeah. Right. Uh, the sports science on this is relatively clear. Um, they have analytical data. I mean, these guys are wearing stuff on their boots. There were, I mean, and, and I mean, almost, almost to an atomic yeah. degree, where they're really taking human agency and variables out of it to where they're tracked to the umpteenth yeah. degree. Here's what I would say on this, because. At times in the past, I've heard the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. So when Solskjaer came in, one of the first things that he said was, these players aren't fit. Yeah. And I think about mm -hmm. this, Solskjaer came in in December. Mourinho was sacked, I think it was like December after the Liverpool game, they'd lost 4 now. Yep. So that's smack bang in the middle of the season, and Solskjaer's saying, I want my team to be the fittest in the league, and they're yeah. not fit, right? Big problem, right? Um, <clears throat> Mourinho complained about the fitness mm -hmm. when he arrived um yep. complained about the fact that towards the end of the season he was starting to have to pick certain games because the squad i mean i thought that was also a, a shot at the, at the board wasn't big enough to deal with the demands that was put on them Ranyak comes in and talks about two things one the players are now going to have to rehabilitate their injuries at the club right mm -hmm. rather than taking off somewhere else and two um complained about the fact that despite United weren't playing the same amount of games as Liverpool and their rivals, they were still picking up a lot more non-contact injuries. Yep. Right? Um, some of that, of course, is a high-intensity press type style, having mm -hmm. that football, if you want to call it that, is very, very physically taxing on players. You mm -hmm. have to be unbelievably fit. And the burn squads out quickly. Right, so yep. you have to, you know, Guardiola is very good in how he rotates players in. You know, how make sure you two, three, two, three years you're gone. Two, three years you're gone. Yep. That's usually a shelf life on a on a high press team when you're, you know, in that twenty eight to thirty two range. Um, so you know, I think um, I remember when Lukaku went to Italy. Conte said it took him, I don't know, three four months to get him properly fit because he wasn't fit from his time at mm -hmm. United. Um, when Ten Hag is turning around saying after the Spurs game that you know it didn't work hard enough, when you have to remind your team to work hard, I, yeah. uh, that's a major concern to me because that's something that should go without saying. And when I see you know United come out against Bayern Munich five minutes early from half time, 
I'm like, what possibly could Ten Hag have needed to remind them of that um, wasn't, you know, important before the game? Like, what, what, what are you responding to? What, what do you have said? You need to come out here and give 100%. You need to do this, do this, do this. I, 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 you know, unless it's a serious tactical adjustment, talking about the intangibles of fitness, commitment, all that stuff that, you know, that it doesn't matter whether you're a Burnley or a Manchester United or, or these are things that all athletes should have at this highest level. There can be variables with skill. There can be variables with, with, with talent and everything else, but there cannot be variables on things like fitness because yeah. that is the bare yep. minimum to me. Yeah, I would agree. And, and, you know, part of it is, uh, unfortunately, it comes back to, you know, Jose Mourinho complained about obviously the fitness and all that, but the other thing he complained about was the lack of the data Yeah, at the club on this, that their sports science department, and this is not a new thing. United's oh. analytics and sports science department are way behind and they've been doing work on it to catch up. But it is way behind. It's oh, it's, it's good. way good. way mm-hmm. behind, and and I think we see the effects of that of not having the years of historical data to track, to put together, um, and to to run in terms of great. This is this is the ideal. This is how this player functions. This is what they need. This is all of that because these are the details that are worked out to the to the nth degree at clubs like Manchester City, where with each player they know exactly how much they need what they need what they should do their routine the best you know everything is worked out um to the highest level and i think we're kind of at the moment my my a positive take on it is we're suffering from putting this in place and trying to get them more fit than we ever have been part of the problem is that they're not getting more fit when they're injured so if it's going to a point where they're picking up too many injuries, it's not going to help. You know, when I look at players like Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I know Aaron Wan-Bissaka is a consummate professional in terms of how he trains, mm-hmm. in terms of his effort, in terms of his intensity, things like that. Uh, I know he always, he, he's never been a player to stop, you know. Um, he's rarely had injuries. I think one of his only injuries he had was actually a contact injury from sliding into the boards under under Rangnick um, off the pitch. And um, I know that that is something that has to be worked out. And and my hope is that this is, this is more of growing pains at the moment, that it's from really hard work on this, that Varan Mount coming in, you know, back in the next few weeks, Kavi Manu coming in, that they'll be better for it moving forward, that the rest of the players are who are continuing to train and work under this and not injured are going to continue to improve in this vein, in terms of fitness. Um, But honestly, I would say that by middle of next month, you know, the league isn't won in October and September. We know that, but you can lose it. And part of that is that, you know, I think by end of October is usually when you expect the team to really start into the form that they're going to carry in through the year. Um, And, uh, you know, and, and, and that comes down to fitness for me too. You, you're Mm -hmm. starting to get the the game, the midweek games. We've got, Champions League, League Cup, Champions League. You know, these these midweek games are coming. We've got that run to the November international break. It is during this period of time that we need to see these injuries subside, the players return from them, not be recurring, and the fitness levels to improve. And, and if they do not, then there's going to be serious, serious inquisition that needs to be, then be done at that point in time to what's going on because it is ridiculous. And it, and. It's one thing you cannot put on individual players when it's happening across the board, where you cannot say it's that player's fault. 
you know, that, that they're injured or not fit, you know, when, when everybody was healthy and, and you had one person like Anthony Martial, who just couldn't stay fit, no matter what, you have a different question to be asking, but when it's everybody and it keeps happening over and over, it's different. So, you know, based on this, I'm, I'm hoping it's a bit of the same growing pains and suffering on improvements, but we'll have, I think we'll find out in the next few weeks. Well, I want to tell you something. Um, Ten Hag's remit this season was to improve. And mm-hmm. when you look at the stats, they're appalling. So mm-hmm. of United are sitting, have conceded 18 goals in all competitions. That's the most of any Premier League team. Now, admittedly, they've played some more yeah. games than some other Premier League teams. Yeah. Uh, so, um, or, sorry, they've conceded 14 goals. Um, yeah. That is absolutely disgraceful, right? I mean, mm-hmm, we conceded mm-hmm. three and four goals. They've conceded three away at Arsenal, four away at yep. Bayern Munich. You know, uh, so yeah, any time this is what one of the things that Ten Hag really had to fix this season was going away yep. to difficult games and being competitive. They've lost 18 of their last 35 away. Um, yep. The only other ever present Premier League team to do that, to do worse, is West Ham. That's appalling, absolutely pathetic. Like that, yeah. that, you know, and when I look at all the other concerning, like, I mean, with Onana, so last night was the first goal I could really blame Onana 100% on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He also wasn't bought to play in front of a back four of Regulon, Dallo, Lindelof, and Martinez, right? To be fair to Regulon, the guys come in, he's shown tremendous attitude. He shows like he really wants yep. to be here, he wants to make it a permanent move. And um, you know, I think he's he's done really well in the two games that he's played. But um, you know, there there's no goalkeeper you can buy that doesn't make a mistake. It's fine that happens. Mm-hmm. I have no problems with not yeah. making a mistake. And I still think, I, even at this point, I would never, sw- I wouldn't swap him for David De Gea. And I, I think he's know. faced very much near the top of the list in terms of shots on the year so far. Yeah, look, but and this is yeah. the thing, like you, you can attack as an individual, but you can't defend as one. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to get tore apart. And when you can see where United are getting targeted in midfield, because yep. you know you can't play Ericsson and Casemiro in the same midfield. Christian Ericsson yeah, doesn't work anymore. Last night. Christian Ericsson yep. should this should be his last year. United. Yeah. Yeah. Christian Ericsson's great in the League Cup games, or bringing him on the last twenty minutes in a game, you're two 0 up, or the the last two games of a Champions League group stage where they're dead rubbers, where you can rest players, where you can put them on the League Cup, you yep. bring them on FA Cup, but you can't play them in key games, right? Yep. Where you're expecting ninety minutes of legs for him against top teams, you're just going to overrun them, right? Yep. Um, yep. Especially playing beside Casemiro, it's not fair on either of them, really, right? Yeah. So, yeah. and I understand that of having you know injuries in midfield. Um, but you know, and I believe that once Mount, Mount comes back, if he can stay fit, remember he only played nine games last season too, then obviously he'll be you know an upgrade on Christian Eriksen beside Casemiro, but still leaves the problem of where you play him. Do you play him high and leave Casemiro exposed? I don't know. Um, but when I look at some of those metrics, some of those stats, and I don't want to do it all on stats, you know, you, you look at the fact that it's you know it's worst ever starts your Premier League season. Mm-hmm. Um Teams, those are really concerning stats, and and yeah, you know, have had a somewhat, you know, have had a, a, an above average difficult start, but not an impossible start. We really could easily be sitting here with United not winning a game all season because mm-hmm. the games they did win one, the Wolves game, they did not deserve to win, and two, the Forest game, they really easily could have lost that. Yeah, yeah. 
I agree. It's concerning. I mean, it is. It's like it is concerning, you know. And the only thing I could point towards, because I, right now I feel, you know, I've been so down in the dumps with the, a lot of the United stuff over the last month with everything that's mm -hmm. happened. It's it's been hard. I mean, it's been hard, right? Mm -hmm. You take yeah. the Greenwood situation, the Anthony situation, yeah. the Sancho situation, the results, the start, the difficulties it's hard to be positive about it. And so kind of, I started looking at it and saying, all right, well, I'm not going to be delusionally positive about this. I know exactly where you're going. You know, but I'm going to sit here and say, it's like, point. let's take, you know, I'm, I'm almost looking at it. Like it's like, it's a free hit right now. Okay. You know, one of the benefits I'll give to Arsenal and Arteta, they didn't qualify for champions league before last season, right? Mm -hmm. Before this season. And they challenged for the league last year. Yeah, they weren't in the no, Champions League. They were in Europe, uh, the Europa, and they weren't even in Europe the year before that, right? They didn't, you know, they suffered a bit for that. Um, I, I give some comparisons to Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool too. I've talked about them a fair bit because I think there's some decent comparisons there. They, like you mentioned, they were hung with this albatross of the past where they were trying to cheat to get results for a long period of time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, buying old players, their squad was old. It was unproved. It was established. It was, but it wasn't good. And they would struggle and they would hang about, you know, in fourth to eighth, right. For a long time. Um, they, I think they won a champions league during that time, during one of these, these times here even, but, but yeah, but they, uh, long time ago, but they, you know, they, they, they struggled. And one of the things that happened before they brought Virgil van Dijk in under, under Klopp, is um, they kind of, you almost looked at it like a free hit that season. I remember it the season before and the half season leading up to that. They just started attacking like mad and they just went for it and they would score goals. They started scoring goals and they started conceding goals left and right. I mean, they were scoring and conceding every week, late goals, blunders, errors, doesn't matter. They just kind of went for it and put their, their style into place. And when they settled that defense, with, with Virgil van Dijk and Allison and all of that, and they settled it. The next two years, they were one of the best teams in Europe competing with City that nobody else could do. Obviously, winning the league, winning Champions League, they did it. They pulled it off, uh, and they burnt out pretty quick after that. And you can see, though, what happened when Virgil van Dijk got injured. That one player getting injured in their back line, they had a terrible season for their standards, right? And um, it, it, there's interesting comparisons there because they don't have the resources that Manchester City has either. Um, and they've been able to kind of rebuild it. They're looking like they're going to be pretty good again this year. But, and that's kind of the positive I would give it. Is, is, is I, would, I would almost look at this season like, we ha like you said, we, we have to stop, we've been talking about, we have to stop to some degree trying to shortcut the result to win and put in what we're trying to do and just see how it goes. Honestly, we just have to. And, and that's kind of where I'm at on it. It's been so negative that I'm just like, I know just go for it. Just go for it. how you want to play. Just do it. And let's see if it works. You know, well, I, let's give it to December. You know what I mean? Before we panic about how we're playing, you know, I, it's like, forget it. You know what I mean? We can make up the points to get top five. Cause remember it's going to be top five moving forward on champions league. Right. Gives you a little more wiggle room. Um, Let's let's see how it goes. We can make up the points between December and the end and the end of the season if we need to. 
if we can get the players healthy and the style implemented and have things working. And that's kind of what all I'm yeah. hoping for at this point from the season, you know. And, you know, I have to say, uh, Ten Hag's been getting some criticism and I don't really understand how people don't learn. I mean, everyone has their own opinion on this. And Matt Sienna doesn't deserve criticism or is above criticism. No one's perfect. But of all the problems that exist at United and all the reasons why they're in this, I mean, was this not made clear in yeah. all the Solskjaer's interview yeah. the other day, yeah. Andy Mitten, that the manager, you know, rarely do they follow his advice on what they mm-hmm. actually need to do. You know, mm-hmm. you can go to the club with recommendations and they can back and knock them down and say, no, you're not getting that guy. We'll go, go. You know, Harry Kane's a perfect example. You know, Bayern Munich get Harry Kane, United don't. Um, Bruce Dortmund get Jude Bellingham, United don't. Bruce Dortmund get Erling Haaland, United don't. Yeah. These, these, these uh, decisions have consequences, you know, so United mm-hmm. end up getting Odie Magallo, you know. I mean, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I, I, I don't care how good a manager you are. Again, the weight of the United's history, you know, holds him a prisoner in the, in the present because yep. they're constantly compared with that. But the but where the football club are at presently, you know, they're not operating like a top football club because they can't. Yeah. You know, I mean, Declan Ray should have been signed by Manchester yep. United and would have been signed in previous years, but, you know, they couldn't afford it. They couldn't afford it. Or can't. They can't afford the top players that will make the difference between being a team that toggles between fifth, fourth, third, you know, sixth, seventh, and a team that actually challenges. You know, right. So City wanted Harry Kane. They they had no problems meeting the buyer, you know what's what, what Spurs were asking, but they didn't get them. Um, and, and I felt that that you never should have made that sending over the summer. I want to ask you a couple of other questions. Um, so um, the Richard Arnold meeting. So um, of course he had this uh, Zoom meeting where you could anonymously submit questions to Richard Arnold. Um, and uh, he gave a relatively mealy mouthed you know, non-committal reply to two questions. You know, one, I thought, you know, with the Mason Greenwood situation, we don't expect, which of course is not an answer. You know, what doesn't matter what you expect. You know, there was no denial that Mason Greenwood could play for Manchester United again. There was nothing, uh, there, there was no unequivocal statement, you know, leaving that down to, you know, an expectation is, you know, really is an indication that um, he doesn't want his words to come back to haunt him if Mason Greenwood does come back. And two, um, you know, essentially word salad nonsense about, you know, hang tight, be resilient over the takeover, you know, where this is a strategic review and we're talking big numbers, all this stuff, when um, everybody and their dog knows the reason why we're still in this process is because the Glazers haven't been given a price that they feel they want to sell at. Whether um, I think that they, you know, we've seen Bloomberg talk about this, um, I still think it would be really difficult for them to not do anything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you've seen a few reports this week, kind of all of this coming on the back of what we heard last week about there being more recent discussions on the takeover um, from the side that we are hearing it. And I think it was interesting because there's a, there's an article from the times on this and, and Mike Keegan as well about um you know, the buyers being put off a little bit by the start of the season. And I don't mind hearing something like that because mm-hmm. the positives of, of an article like that are telling you, if that was a transfer, what would you think that article comes out? You know, they're put off on the price a little bit. They don't think they want to pay more player, you know, 
only has a couple of years of playing history, isn't all of that. It's a negotiating tactic. It's a bit of the, the public games. It tells you that talks are ongoing. And pretty simply, I see it as a pushback on the requests the Glazers are making, which are for two things that we've talked about. Number one is just more money, or number two is more influence to retain mm -hmm. some influence in the club. We talked about how the, the Ineos and, and Jim Ratcliffe are not willing to do that. Um, and it's one of the things they will not do. But just, just you know, to interrupt you, why in the fucking God's earth would they feel it's a smart decision for Manchester United for them to have influence, given the absolute state of this football club? How <laughs> could you sit there right, and say, my level of competence entitles me to a say on how this football club is run? You are the Money. reason why this football Money. club is on its knees. On what professional capacity do you have anything to contribute or value yeah well here's the problem right phil and and this is the issue with people who are successful and i use successful as a almost a pejorative word here because they're not successful mm, yes um a lot of people who are successful do not understand why they've been successful yes, or I they know. ignore it and they look at the club that they purchased for 400 million and they say this this club has gone 15 times its value under our ownership. Mm -hmm. What do you mean the club's on its knees? They've 15 times the value of their asset. Mm -hmm. They've made a lot of money. They're successful by the measure of a business, by the measure of their ownership, by the measure of what they're going to get out of it. They're very successful owners. By the measure of a football club, it's an abject failure. They've overseen a collapse. You know, if you look at the chart of the club's value as opposed to the chart of the club's trophies, it's in, it's in the exact opposite. And um, and that is at the end of the day the reason they're not smart people in this respect. In that they're not, they're, it takes a bit a degree of self introspection that billionaires often have often do not have, and especially ones who come from money that isn't their own. Um, that did not build something on their own to look at something and say, you know, it grew because the industry grew. It yeah, grew because the environment the grew. And yeah. if anything, we held it down from what it could have been. What you know it could have been without them. And they won't look at that. They won't see it. They do not you know, see it. I, one thing I have to give really begrudging credit for <laughs> is their ability. They're, they're Teflon. Like, mm. On every single TV channel, <laughs> you've got every journalist, every ex money yeah. player slaughtering. Yeah. They have to go, they have to go, they have to go, they have to go, they have to go. And they can ignore that. Right? And still sit down with sponsors and convince them that it's a smart partnership. And I'm going, how is it that they can silence all this criticism, all these protests, and, and not as a human being, you know, feel some sense of obligation saying, you know, I, the empathetic human being in me realizes we're doing harm here. Let's just sell this club yeah. and move on. How is it that they are so tough on that they can insulate themselves from all that criticism, right? It doesn't, you, you can go after the phone. It doesn't matter. And their steadfast, their, their steadfast adherence to, self-enrichment beyond any insult mm -hmm. to transcend yep. any criticism is really astonishing to me. I mean, it, it, it's quite yep. incredible how they have this level, you know, uh, 
I don't want to say inhumanity, but I, I just don't seem to be triggered the way a normal human being would. Well, let's bring this to a more uh, a, a realistic term and talk about a few real things to to wrap this up on that on on, on some examples of this, because the Ali Gunnar Solskjaer inter interviews is quite interesting. Um, mm -hmm. You and I have spoken about this. I've put some of this stuff out publicly about some of the things that happened under Ali Gunnar Solskjaer in that COVID summer to do a Joel Glazer and his decision making process, yes. and it was real interesting. You know, I, I pointed this out because it's what sticks for me and sticks to the end of time with Manchester United was that the article that came out says Joel Glazer and, and Richard Arnold decided, decided that Harry Kane was not a good use of funds. Mm -hmm. Now here's the thing. <laughs> Why? Well, is that, you know, whether it's even right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Why is Joel Glazer deciding anything when it comes the to football? Think of what saying that, James, right? Yeah. And this is exactly the same mentality as what cost them Holland. They're already yeah. thinking about the sale of that player yep. before the purchase. The residual value, so the layer. How much can I sell yeah. this guy for? Not yeah. what value does he bring to the team right away in terms of, okay, we, this guy comes in and scores 300 goals. We win a Premier League. We win this. They don't care about that. Yeah. What, no, no, no. What is my potential to recoup the seal? And by the way, they can't sell anyone for, for a profit. But oh. this sickness, <laughs> I know. this mentality I know. of how do we go after players that we can, you know, this is really partly a consequence of the whole Ronaldo first, yeah. the, the original Ronaldo sale where they, you know, yeah. wow, so we can buy a player for, you know, 13 million and sell him for 80. We want to repeat that. Right, mm -hmm. you know, buy yep. resale, buy resale. So then they started bringing in, you know, we need to look at players 23 and under, we need to do all this, all this, all this, because they like the idea. This is why you don't get investment in non sexy yep. things like the analytical department. Yep. Because where's the resale value on that? We you know I can't market yep. that to sponsors, players, we can market sponsors, we can sell. So I don't want to hijack it, but but this is no, the, no, yeah. the mentality but everything is a business decision, it's not a football decision. Exactly. But this is where I want to bring it back to the recruitment as a whole, you know, because, you know, there was a, one of the stories that I think is worth mentioning. And this is something I, I discussed. We mentioned at the start of the podcast. I got a couple of minutes, so we'll, we'll, we'll get through this, mm -hmm. um, this, this section to wrap it up. Um, you know, I, I said something about Amrabat, how the recruitment department weren't in love with Amrabat and have some doubts about him. He's someone that Eric Ten Hag really wanted through the summer. And then you had this story about concerns about the how involved Kisvos is um, from SEG, Eric Ten Hag's agency, the one that he's employed, not employed by, but uh, is a client of, right? Um, in in their summer dealings and things like that. And here's the thing about it that that it all comes all comes back to. One problem we have at the moment in recruitment because there, there's two there's there's a couple of views on recruitment. And it's gone different ways over time. One is that, you know, a proper recruitment team doesn't, doesn't just let the manager pick the targets, okay? They don't do it that way. They support the manager by building a proper football department mm -hmm. and a proper football team, of top course. down, that mm -hmm. there's a philosophy, that mm -hmm. there's an idea, that, you know, when Jurgen Klopp is asking for Julian Brandt, that Edwards says to him, no, hold on, I've got someone better for you. It's mm -hmm. going to work better. I know exactly what you need, and I'm going to get you the right person. So they signed Mo Salah, and look at that, one of the greatest now players in history of the Premier League having come in, you know, in terms of numbers and all that. It's been it, – it, you get the same decisions at City 
their their department is, is top of the line. Whoever uh, Pep Guardiola wants, it's not really of consequence. It's not to say he's ignored because he's not. He's a strong voice in a group, but he trusts that the people above him are going to identify the right people and bring them in, right? And get him what he needs to win. And that's how it goes at, at, at uh, Liverpool. And that's how it goes at Arsenal as well. That there's a lot of support from on high. That's what has been helping Arteta a lot out is from on high, building the team and putting it together because there's a philosophy from above. We have a few problems here, you know, which is that one, there isn't a philosophy from above. It's always manager by manager philosophy, right? That's so you correct. go from Jose Mourinho to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to Eric Ten Hag, three managers who, who could not be more different. And so the players they signed could not be more different. So you have no consistent philosophy in terms of, of recruitment throughout the club. So then you try to overcorrect it a little bit by getting Eric Ten Hag players he's familiar with to implement his style and put his, his thing into play. But that's not actually the reason why that's happening. And there's probably... Here's the thing. I could criticize Eric Ten Hag's eye for talent and targets. I don't think it's that good personally, but it doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter because the reason it's happening is Eric Ten Hag is a shield for the Glazers and the club. <laughs> We've spoken to people. We know how the how things work at United. Yes. Mm -hmm. Eric Ten Hag is a shield. Mm -hmm. everything that goes out will be centered around it's what Eric Ten Hag wanted it was his call it was mm -hmm. his decision it was his this and his that it shields United from criticism it shields United from failure because Eric Ten Hag is popular he's well liked he's got a lot of support um, he's got a lot of backing if he wants something and he decides something most fans will agree. He's got the most equity, fan equity at the club at the moment. Um, he had it even before he came in, right? And so people get wrapped up in that. I'm not blaming the fans either here. It's totally fine. But proper support of Eric Ten Hag would be saying, look, we'll get you what you need. Now, why did Sofian Amrabat come in, even though United recruitment were not to like 100% on him? And I know they weren't. They had other targets that they were much more interested in. There was no money, right? There was no money for those targets. And that's why Sofian Amrabat comes in. That doesn't mean there's a, a big infight between scouts and Eric Ten Hag or something like that. That's not really how it is. It's not like they would have said, no, we cannot sign him. And they signed him anyways. It's a matter of there was no money. And that's why it took to the final day and all this complications over deals and all that. If they had the money, we know there was players they're looking at like Onana at Everton. We know there's players they're already looking at for replacing Casemiro in the future. We know there's players they're looking at to replace Jaden Sancho. You know, we we know that all of that is uh is is supposed to be being done, but it cannot be done until the money is there. And at the same time, I know that the recruitment side of things that other people are working on targets for the wings targets for the midfield, targets for the center backs that need replacing. But the two biggest factors that are coming into play, whether this is successful or not, and whether it works out in the end are number one, if the money will be made available by ownership to do enough of what is needed. And that includes letting players go and signing their replacement and, and putting up the cash for it. And number two, that they don't simply use Eric Ten Hag as a shield for the club that they work, they look at it and say, we need a structure that supports him, even if it's not 
This is an Eric Ten Hag player. It's a player that the structure supports, that fits the philosophy, and will give him the best chance of success. Because otherwise, he is being set up for for failure by being asked to be the head coach, the manager, the fitness coach, the sports science department, the analytics, the scout. He cannot be all of that. There is no modern-day manager that does all of that for a club. There's none. And he needs the setup behind him. And you're dealing with owners that are essentially on a month-to-month lease right now. Yeah. That um, aren't making any long-term commitments to the football club. Their recruitment department, and and they've been told this for a decade, what surprises me about United always find things to be surprising that are blatantly obvious. They've been told for a decade that the recruitment department's a total disgrace. Um, The uh, agents know this. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows there's no coherent strategy behind anything that they do. Um, And and that, uh, you know, scouting players that they buy are very rarely done as a result of forensic analysis and making sure they fit a particular style. It's when agent rings, he'll do. Yeah, he's a bit good. You know, we can we could sell him. You know, we we could develop him all that. Right. They fit football manager ideas of what a decent player is, and then they're left with no money. At the end of windows, to scrape together a Cavani loan yep. deal, a you know free yep. transfer type deal, the paper over the cracks, and hope that uh, they've got enough for yeah. it's not good enough. And, right? and to separate that out clearly, you know, broad strokes football depart recruitment department. There's a there's hundreds of people in it. There's a lot of them that know what they're doing. Oh but yeah, when, when, when it all co- coalesces, that it's that final point that it goes to the CEO, Joel Glazer, to be making the decisions and making the assessments of these things. The players they've rejected over the last few years that they chose not to, to sign would build a Premier League winning team. It's, see, this it's, is what it's crazy when the people that are responsible for executing on these decisions yeah. have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. But what did exactly. we hear last week? The commercial department has the best in class. You, you only need to, when you look at a company's priorities, right, then that's their definition of success. We really want to beat this yeah. dead We've talked about this so many times. Yeah. But United aren't really trying to be the best team in the Premier League don't really try to be the best team in Europe. In fact, what they tried to do was to take merit out of the equation to get a close Super League. So there was no responsibility put upon them to actually be very, very good on the field that, that had a relationship to the revenue. So they wanted to get United into a league where there was no responsibility to be competitive, but they would still get paid. Um, and so they're not really trying to be, you know, to, to, to catch Manchester City on the pitch. You know, as long as they, yeah. you know, make money off it, everything else is is, is palatable. Um, I forgot so, my original point, but I just wanted to make it real quick before we wrap it up, yeah, well, was that... Joel Glazer spent all these years thinking he knows best when it comes to making decisions on players. And that just tells you the attitude, the mindset that someone has where they cannot perceive the failures that they're making. Yeah, no, I know. And And that's when you're asking, why can't they see all this criticism about the club and just sell? Just let it go? The mental capacity is just not there. The introspection is not there. Well, I mean, in their eyes, they had a great week. They They got Snapdragon. You know, they got Adidas, you know, to them. A successful quarter, probably. I mean, yeah. you may, you and I care about results on the pitch. They're not, not no consequence yeah. for them. So they had a, they had yeah. a real week. Richard Arnold's doing a great job. Forget about, you know, the, the, the scandals, the crises, one after the next. Forget about all that stuff. And it's irrelevant. These are things that fans care about. They don't care about things that you and I care about. Yeah. Um, but uh, just to, to finish up, as I've, as I've always said, in my opinion, United will never compete for the top trophies in European football again until there's a complete ideological uh, shift and an and, and ethos at the football club that 
everything from the owners, you know, everything is derivative of an attitude of sport and excellence. And until that changes, you will never, ever, ever get it. You'll never get consistency. Everything you'll 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 get incremental improvement and then failure, incremental improvement, failure, and fans will blame Ten Hag and they'll blame the next yeah. manager and the manager after that, manager after that. But anyway, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Folks, thanks for all your downloads. Thanks for uh, all your retweets, everything for following myself and James. Yep. Um we appreciate all the feedback in the next week or two, or we'll assume we'll start opening us up to questions and all that there, and we'll do them live. So uh, much appreciated so get in touch with us and let us know if there's any changes you want in the show and we will go about implementing them james all the best mate yes you too thanks again cheers bye bye all right